Humanity. My name is Asteris Oz Miller. Today I'm joined by Professor Joy Spann. Joy, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Joy. I don't I don't know what else you want me to say. Okay. Um your <laughs> occupation. Oh, okay. Uh, what I, you uh, like to do, your chosen topic, pretty much anything you want. Okay, so I um teach religious studies courses at a couple of colleges. I um, want to talk about true crime because it's this obsession that a lot of people have, and I'm probably one of those people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting um, the ways that um, it's been influencing popular culture in terms of podcasts mm-hmm. and TV programs, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um well, we're glad you're here so you can talk about true crime. I know some of my friends and family members, of course, watch it as well. So it's um, it's interesting to see and to hear about as someone who does not actively participate in the true crime genre itself. Is there a reason why you don't actively participate? No, I just, I don't know. It's not interesting to me, the bad acting. Well, that's for the specifically the shows on like Hulu that come from the ID channel. Uh-huh. And like an investigate uh, channel, um, the the acting is awful, and then it's like I already know because they introduce the the characters and then they say like negative things about the one who is will eventually be the the killer, but the podcast obviously they're just describing the um, what's happening, um, which is interesting to me. Like I'll. I'll listen to the podcast if someone's playing it that's no problem but the television shows I, I can't handle them okay yeah I mean it depends on the kind of it depends on the television television show that you watch because like forensic files is like mm-hmm. a classic and yeah. they'll have like reenactment scenes but that's not the focus of the program at all like the focus of the mm-hmm. program is the science behind it like yeah. what did they do to like uncover the crime mm-hmm. and one of my favorite things about Forensic Files is that um, a lot of times they'll tell you different things that the um, criminal did, but, like, they'll leave out details you need so you can't do it yourself. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like they anticipate the fact that um, some people may be watching Forensic Files to get um, tips on how to do a crime better. And so yeah. they'll say things like... Um, this person managed to um, describe the flavor of acetylcholine, which is usually sweet in taste, but we're not going to share the details of how they did that on this program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those do things like that. And, and it's also kind of amazing to see the stuff that um, forensic science has allowed us to be able to do in terms of like matching carpet fibers and footprints are almost like fingerprints. Those are just things I didn't know. But another thing I've been thinking a lot about is how much of it is also propaganda. Okay. Because 
I was listening to a podcast, I can't remember which one, a while back, and they were talking about how um, ballistics, which is used a lot in a lot of cases, they were saying that is not a real science. Mm -hmm. And that is actually pretty arbitrary because a lot of different um, agencies that use ballistics, they have like um, different requirements in terms of like the markings that have to be on the bullets. So it's not standardized which means that it can change from location to location. And they use ballistics a lot on forensic files. So that kind of made me think about like what other things on this show are they acting like they can do, but really they're like overhyping it mm-hmm. <laughs> or they're inflating yeah, the accuracy of it. That's definitely interesting to think about now. Uh, Cause I, I do appreciate efficiency and accuracy. So this is only making me worry more that if I watch it and they don't give me all the details and I'll start contacting agencies asking why, what's happening. Well, they do. They do give you a lot of details in terms of like how the police uncover the crime, like the forensic mm-hmm. sciences use. They just don't give you details. They don't give you details all the time of how the crime is committed. Of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they'll tell you like, for instance, one of the things I learned is if you delete something off the computer, you mm-hmm. didn't really delete it. It's still there. You just made oh, yeah. you just made the space available to be written over. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for certain. So a lot of people uh, do stuff and they think they deleted it, but it's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've 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 tried to explain this. I remember um a long time ago, um a guy I know, he paid me to wipe his computer for some reason I don't know. And then <laughs> I told him it's easy, just format it. And then he was telling me, oh, everything's not gone. And I was like, oh, yeah, you have to remove the the motherboard um, little cell battery, remove it, and then reboot it, and then remove all the cache information. And he was like, will you do it? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> so I was like, if, if you need this done, then uh, I don't want to be a part of this at all. Yeah, that person committed a crime. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think he killed anyone or anything, but I'm I'm sure he had like, uh, he probably stole the computer. To be honest, that's that's probably the worst that happened. Still a crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I think you didn't I, think it was murder. Yeah, yeah, I would be wary of that. Um, I guess another thing is how, mm-hmm. um, like, you're more likely to be killed by like somebody you know and trust than like a stranger and so that's kind of terrifying oh yeah by by all means whenever you mention this is the topic i started thinking and then i i was on the phone with kylie johnson and and my grandmother was like help me find deadly women and i was like wait all these women on this show have been killing family members yeah yeah usually their husbands i'm a little worried now yeah but the episode he was watching was about um, had a young woman killing her grandfather and then a grandmother who killed her grandchildren in order to get like some life insurance money. And I was like, hold up, let me cancel my policy. Real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the insurance policy is always like, it's usually about money. Really? Actually, I think the top two things are money and child custody cases. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when people are going through divorce and they want full custody of the children, they try to kill one of the pa- they try to kill the other parent, which is crazy because I just couldn't imagine as a parent doing that to my child. 
Like yes. you, un- like it's like they don't understand the grief and pain their children are going to go through, or they just don't care that much. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's like one of the biggest things. And then of course, like insurance. And there's like a lot of the like the black widows, you know, where they um, have multiple husbands, and so they. Um, their first husband died under mysterious circumstances, but um, it's like, oh, it's probably a heart attack. And they just kind of write it off as natural causes. And then she has another husband and then he dies. And they're just like, hold on a second. Wait, what happened to your first husband? Mm-hmm. Two husbands died not that long after marrying you. That's suspicious. Let's do an autopsy. Um, and there was, I remember there was one episode where they actually, um, were able to use like someone that was cremated. They were actually able to like check the ashes for certain things, which mm-hmm. a lot of times like cremating somebody is like the way to like get rid of the evidence, but they found a way to be able to detect some chemical compounds in the ashes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is how somebody else got caught, but a lot of times it seems like they're, and not just really women, like with men too, where they have like multiple spouses and they get away with killing the first one and then they kill like two more. And by the time they get to the second or the third, then everybody's like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta temper yourself if you're killing husbands. Yeah. It's, it's just like, okay, you got away with the first one. Just count your blessings. <laughs> but, but it's like, oh, no, no, no. Wow. I got to do this again. And I need to take out even more insurance money on this person. And it's always like a couple of weeks after they take out the insurance policy. <laughs> yeah, they can't wait. Oh my. And it's like that's the first thing they do. The first thing the police do is they look and see um if they took out an insurance policy and how much insurance money there is. Like that's mm-hmm. the first thing they do. Yeah, see see I that's I kind of don't understand them as well whenever they want the money because it's like you're living what most people would consider the good life. And though you might not be happy with it, just just wait. Just wait a little bit. Just just a little while longer. Patience. Um, being the tortoise wins the race because <laughs> being the rabbit gets you uh, taken out by the hunter at the end of the race whenever you reach the clear. Yeah. I do, think, I do think that there's some kind of compulsion, though. Like, if you're killing multiple yeah. husbands, like, you're compelled to do so. It's not just money. Like, you get some kind of thrill out of getting away with it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Which is just, like, another aspect. I was talking to um, Kaylee Smith a couple of months ago um, about Forensic Files and True Crime. And we were talking about serial killers. And, um, of course, since we both do religion, I started thinking about, like, serial killers and ritual and how... A lot of times they have like an MO, so like a specific way that they do things. And um, and all of it, of course, is like has to be done in this specific way, which is really similar to like how rituals work um, in religion for people. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so we talked about like creating a class like that, but that study that, but yeah. kind of dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. No, no, that, that sounds like it could be very interesting. It could. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you'd have a lot of participants as well. Do you know why there are less serial killers now than there used to be? Um, 
No. Does that have to do with Foucault and criminalizing mental health? No. no? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would be really interesting, but it has more to do with the fact that the science is so advanced that now a lot of people that would be serial killers get caught after their first murder. Ah. Okay. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause even now, like they've been catching people that like committed crimes in the seventies, like via DNA evidence. And of course there wasn't DNA mm-hmm. evidence before. So now it's even harder to commit a lot of those crimes and get away with it. And so a lot of people that would be after they've done their first or second murder, they get caught. And so they don't get the opportunity to become serial killers. Okay, so we just have a bunch of killers and not... Basically. Okay, I mean, you know, it'd be nice if we could reduce it, but I don't want, obviously, since we're talking about true crime, I don't want to go to the the potential of a future with pre-crime, like in Minority Report. (laughs) Because I I feel like we're getting very close to that with... um, with systems that can predict movement, especially CCTV in London, where they're like, oh, this guy's robbed before. Look at him. He's acting shifty. Go ahead and pick him up. Yeah, there's, I was listening to something and they were talking about some news program and they were talking about how um, there was, I think it was a state that was thinking about using some kind of like software to determine um, Mm -hmm. like the sentence to give people because they were saying that, of course, judges have biases. A lot of times people of color Mm-hmm. Um, get harsher sentences than um, white people do and so okay. um, they were saying if we use a computer then there won't be any bias mm-hmm. and the computer just take into factors in their lives about how likely they are to commit another crime etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's just like but that also is a bias yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this is um, this reminds me of like during the age of Kung Fu Zhu, Confucius of legalism uh-huh. where everything was decided based on like similar factors um and now we've moved a little bit more towards pragmatism where the judge i know there's this one judge he has like a youtube channel and a show where he 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 basically does traffic stops and whatnot and then he like lets people off and then it's like this judge released someone because they were speeding to get to their va appointment with their psychologist so he let them off um and it's like well this old uh, this one old woman, she hit her husband. So he's like, oh, you know what? You're paying a fine for this. And it's like, well, that pragmatism kind of makes sense because he's like joking with them. But he doesn't want to like, because some of these fines, if you get like three speeding tickets, right? Disproportionately uh-huh. um, minorities, then you can face in some of these places 18 months in jail. That that sounds a little uh that that seems like it has to do with disenfranchisement yeah i think i think for sure especially because the justice system is so unfair and screwed up and what people don't realize is that because human beings create computers well and i would say some Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. a lot of people that study this know this but that because human beings are the ones that create computers we often um put our own biases in there by accident (laughs) Like unintentionally. And so um, the -hmm. factors that we choose to like put a higher weight on in terms of like, say, for instance, if you put if you were saying like somebody who grew up in this inner city neighborhood is more likely to commit another crime, even though that may be true statistically, when you put that into a computer, then how many do you think that's going to reduce the number of black people that end up in prison? 
right? Mm. Um, because there are other, there are of course other factors, but yeah, yeah but yeah. that will um, sometimes people get in trouble and then they want to change. And also it's important to note that a lot of people um, stay in the prison system because it's almost impossible to get out of it once you get in. So it's not mm-hmm. even just because um, you grew up in a certain um, area, but it's also because not only did you grow up without having the same amount of access to resources as other people, but now that you've gotten out, you still don't have access to those resources. And so um, you have no choice but to commit another crime because nobody wants to hire you and you have to eat. Or that's just like the easiest thing to do, because even on college applications, they ask you if you've ever been um, convicted of a felony. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I've noticed it as well. And at times I've always wanted to be like, hmm, what if I just mark? Yes. But then I feel it will also go on like my employment record for the background checks. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Yeah, definitely don't play with that. Because then also, like, mm. there's this thing, like, if you lie. So even if you, like, you say yes, oh, yes. then you can yeah. be committed of a crime for lying. Because yeah. then they're going to be looking, yeah. they're going to say, why would he say this? We don't have a record of this. That's perjury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, I've noticed a lot of people as well through applications, like through similar websites, like usajobs.com. Almost all the applications mm-hmm. are identical on all the government sites. So they'll just click click all yes or no to whichever ones are in the right order but then some of the websites add an extra question so they're like clicking yes to i'm i consider myself disabled or yes i am a lone survivor or a sole survivor of a veteran and then it it increases their ranking like it gives them a one a plus one or like a plus two wow um so then they call them about it to ask them their condition or uh or if this will affect them in their job, it, what accommodations they need. And they're like, oh, no, I messed up. But then it proves to the employer that you didn't read, so they're not going to hire you. Well, um, I mean, I think that's why you should always read an application mm-hmm. carefully. Yeah. But it's really interesting that um, I could see people like using where to do something like that just to kind of get because applying for jobs is work yes i don't want to go i don't want to go on like this on like another tangent about like employment and things like that (laughs) but um it really does require a lot of effort to um apply for a job and especially if you're doing like government jobs it takes a very long time before you get like approved and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. all the red tape which I mean makes sense. They shouldn't just hire anybody, but that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to segue from government jobs back to this, we have uh like the GBI or district attorneys, and then we have our own true crime, like real crimes that we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. And in specifically in a case that I think we're both familiar with, Ahmad Arbery in Brunswick, we've had I think three district attorneys pass up the case mm-hmm. to to prosecute so how do you feel about that um i mean i think they needed to because they have conflict of interest mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. person i haven't been paying super close attention to this case just because i get all of these like cases of like black men black women getting killed by like 
police or like mass vigilantes or whatever. I'm saying mass, but really just like vigilantes, mm-hmm. right? Um, white people with guns. I it becomes overwhelming, <laughs> and so a lot of times I'll kind of like rem- like not pay that much attention. But I did see that I believe like the first um, prosecutor that was assigned that the person that did not file charges had like some kind of connection with that family that had committed mm-hmm. the crime. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Brunswick is, is near Savannah and it's, and it's still like from by most, like I would, I would think like most people consider it to be kind of a more small town. So mm-hmm. you can see how like all the people in power know each other, all the people that have money know each other in the community and so I think it would have been really unfair for anybody there. So to have somebody out from outside come in, I think that that's probably the most reasonable thing to do. Mm. Um, have you ever listened to um, In the Dark? In the Dark? I don't think I have. So that is a podcast that was following the case of this man named Curtis Flowers. And basically, mm-hmm. he was committed, I mean, convicted, not committed, convic- convicted of um, committing um, multiple murders in a furniture store okay. that he briefly worked at. He's a black man. Um, ooh, I'm going to say he's in Alabama. Alabama mm-hmm. or Mississippi. One of those places. And um, very segregated. Still, especially like where white more fluent, um, black more poor, and there was a complete division between the two groups on whether or not he committed the case. The white people thought that he did it, and the black people thought that he didn't do it. And he mm-hmm. ended up being um, sentenced to the death penalty. But in the in the dark podcast, what they did was they uncovered a lot of prosecutorial um, misconduct. Um, Some of which was already um, uncovered because this man went to trial six times. Okay. Because each time it kept getting overturned because the prosecutor was not, um, he was like knocking out like, you know how you're supposed to be able to have um, on the jury, it should be like of your peers, right? He would a lot of times like find really dumb reasons to get rid of the black people so that it'd be almost an all white jury. Mm. And of course they were in the city of Winona, which is where the crime happened. And all of those people thought that he was guilty. And it really seems that he, it does seem like based on what they've uncovered, it seems that actually he is innocent of the crime and that someone else did it. And that um, the prosecutor did a lot of things in order to make him look guilty, which are illegal. Mm-hmm. But he's in this place. I I really think it's Alabama. He's in this he's in this um place where um it's still a lot of like racism and white supremacy, like blatant. You know what I'm saying? Is a part of like the complete system and structure in a way that in a lot of places it still exists, but it's not blatant, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's essentially where um and so he did all these things. And what's really interesting is that despite the fact that like these reporters like uncovered all this stuff, when they interview the white people in the town, they're just like, Mm -hmm. you're just a liberal media 
um, mm. with all your bias, making stuff up and lying on our prosecutor. And like basically said that like the podcast was lying about stuff, even though they, of course, they posted all of their evidence and their research mm-hmm. and their methods. So you could see everything that they did. And yes. this, um, so Curtis Flowers case actually got heard by the Supreme Court. And so he's actually, mm. um, and they agreed that there was misconduct. And so now there's supposed to be a seventh trial if they want to do it, but they granted his release. So he's actually released from prison, but he, okay. after being on death row for, I think at least 20 years. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So he's been releasing from prison. He's in an undisclosed location mm. because of course, there are lots of white people that want to kill him, like from that community. Okay. His family has also had to relocate. Um, during like the proceedings, like his family got their houses, like got their um had like their house set on fire and all kinds of things. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like all kinds of like terrorism. And so, mm-hmm. um, so he's like he's in an undisclosed location, and now the prosecutor has had to recuse himself because one of the things that the Supreme Court said was. Why does this same prosecutor keep trying this case after being told so many times that he's behaving inappropriately? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, why is he allowed to try this person again and again? And he's still doing some of the same things. I mean, and really, it wasn't just like the juries, it was stuff like the um one of the witnesses that he got in um admitted to like only doing it because he could get favors in prison. And so he just, mm-hmm. like, lied and said that, like, Curtis had confessed to him. And he admitted to the reporter that, yeah, no, he never said anything like that to me. I just, it was just my benefit to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, just, like, you know, things like that. And so it's, it's really bad. And um, so fortunately, he's he's been released. But the podcast kind of, like, uncovers that whole, like, journey and kind of, and also really comes up with a possible um, somebody that probably more likely did it. Mm-hmm. Um, an alternative suspect, which they acted like they didn't have, but she finds evidence in the police notes that they did have evidence of somebody else, and they just chose to ignore it. So, okay, I, was so I guess one of the other things for me, I guess, with true crime is is actually made me trust the criminal justice system less. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, because I like I watch after like watching a lot of forensic files and all of these other shows, I started to like realize like how many people are falsely convicted, and like seeing like all the false convictions because another thing that's been like that true crime does cover are like the overturn. Um, overturning convictions and like if we think that somebody else did the crime like who was it mm-hmm. and so in a lot of ways it's made me feel like less likely to like trust the criminal justice system um, I've seen a lot of stuff about the police and um, and how they can elicit um, false confessions you know things like that mm-hmm. so it's just yeah is yeah, I think it's instead of like feeling like more confident about like the work that's being done in terms of like solving crimes, I think it's made me feel less is made me feel less confident in old fashioned police work, more confident in science. I think. 
That's what I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense. Wow. Wow. That's something to think about. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Excellent. So what is, what's something else that, that true crime does like any other medium? So we have podcasts, we have television. Are there any other things we, we have like film reproductions or like based on a true story. Right. Um, right. Um, those lifetime, mo- those lifetime movies. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I see, and those that's where I'm not a fan. Like how you were saying, talking about the bad acting and stuff like that. Like, I can't get, mm-hmm. I cannot get into, like, um, unless it's like a really, like, something like, um, what's that movie with Ben Affleck where, um, his, um, Gone Girl, Gone Girl, like, Gone Girl is like a real, is a real movie, right? <laughs> Have you mm-hmm. seen it? I have okay, yes. and so I don't want to ruin like I could basically spoil the entire movie if I talk too much about it. But basically, it is kind of it is a true crime type story, right? And it's a fictional book, but occasionally, of course, they do movies that are they do movies like that of that standard. I can get into, but like the yes. Lifetime movies, the tele- made for TV movies. There is mm-hmm. this Netflix special, um, Dirty John, that was like based on the podcast. Could not watch. Yeah. It yeah. just feels. Well, like you said, the acting is bad. The um, it feels really. I, I don't even. I don't even know like what word to use to describe how it feels, but I'm not really. I guess another thing is I'm not super interested, which is terrible. I think in a lot of ways, I'm not super interested in the victim stories. I'm more interested in like <laughs> what motivated the criminal to com- commit this crime and how the um the police solved the crime so i'm more of a murder mystery person and so i like true crime stuff that's on that side where they're like following clues and they're uncovering this and that as opposed to like other stuff where they're like really focusing on um the victim impact and how the town reacts to the um, murder and all that that stuff is really um sad yes yeah and depressing and I mean again I know this probably sounds bad because the victims are very important and I think we do need to consider victims when it comes to crimes um but at the same time that's not like where my interest is I don't just like um you ever watch Chopped Chopped the show Um, on Food Network oh on on Food Network Yes. It makes me think about, and this is probably not a great comparison, but it still makes me think about this. It makes me think about how unchopped when people are competing and they're just like, I really want to win this because my mom has cancer and I want to pay for that. And, you mm-hmm. know, and then it's just like, so we're supposed to like um, have sympathy and like want you to win because like your mom is dying as opposed to like who has the best skills in the competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, it feels like that to me. And now that I've said that out loud, it feels really awful to say. 
because I think the victims are probably yeah. more important than in the crime. But I I don't want to hear like how everybody's impacted, and not because I don't care, but just because mm-hmm. emotionally I don't think that I could handle it. But I am interested in what makes people tick and why they do certain things. And I think I'm more Mm -hmm. interested in that aspect of true crime. And that's also probably, like, why I watch a lot of reality TV. Because, like, why do people make the decisions that they make? Okay. Okay. That makes sense. As opposed to, like, how horrific the crime was. I really don't want to hear, like, how horrific the crime was. Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Speaking of horrific crimes um, and reality television, how's about we move to uh, what is it show? Love is Blind. I it's <laughs> yeah. What about yeah. it? Let's let's discuss that. And then the other one where they have to be celibate for the time that they're in the house. Too hot. Too hot, too to, hot handle. to handle. I have not seen Too Hot to Handle. I watched the um, the preview for that, and then I watched like the first few minutes of the first episode and I was just like this isn't for me <laughs> and I turned luckily it I, I have watched too hot to handle I've only watched a few episodes of uh, so, so like reverse I've seen all of love is blind <laughs> mm, I don't I don't like either one of them to be <laughs> fairly honest love and blind love is blind took some time to get into I watched mm. maybe the first two episodes and I was like oh, I don't know if I'm gonna finish this and then my roommate mm. was like, oh, uh, people have been talking about this. Let's watch this. And I was like, okay, whatever. So we watched it. And um, then we started getting invested into getting invested in it. Mm. I thought that it was interesting, I guess, like the conversations that they had with these people they didn't know and then and never seen before. And then once they met, um, I guess once once they met, like how some of that shifted and changed. I think like one of the most hated people on there on that show was Jessica because she had this um, mm-hmm. relationship with this guy Mark, but she also was in this love triangle with this other guy Barnett. Mm-hmm. Do you know about mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of them has a beard and is more her type, and the other one is not. Yes, one is actually. I don't think. I don't think the beard does, has anything does, to do with her type. No, it's not. Oh, I didn't think that had to do with Oh, you're her just trying to recognize them. Oh, okay, okay, names. I see. Yeah, but bearded and non-bearded. Yeah, yeah, I think Mark had the beard and Barnett didn't have facial hair. And so mm-hmm. um, apparently Barnett was like super popular with all the women. In the, well, not with all, but with a good amount of the women in the house anyway. And so um, in the end, he had narrowed it down to three women that he was still talking to seriously when everyone else had already kind of like partnered off. And so he mm-hmm. gave Jessica the impression that he was going to propose to her. And so she broke things off with Mark. Oh, my. Turns out. Yeah. Um, he was just talking out the side of his neck because he's a child. And so um, then she was humiliated. So then she broke things off with Barnett and like cursed him out and then tried to like poison the other girls against him, the other women against him. Mm. Did not yeah. work. And did she yes. go back to Mark? And so then she goes, yes. Oh, no. And then she goes back to Mark. And so Mark proposes to her. And so they end up together in the real world, like meeting face to face. 
Absolutely. (laughs) And Barnett proposes to this girl named Amber, and they end up together in the real world. So, of course, Jessica and Amber know each other because all the women are living together and all the men are living together. So they know Mm -hmm. each other. And Jessica's like, I really didn't see you and um, Barnett together. That seems really weird. That's her voice. That's how she talks. And she, like, does that several Mm. times. And she kind of, like, tries to... um, get Barnett to she she like meets with him a couple of times like one-on-one to try to like get him to maybe confess that he still has feelings for her or something like that yeah does not work Barnett does not like he humors her in the sense of meeting up with her but he always acts like he has no idea what she's talking about when um she's talking Mm -hmm. about um feelings and stuff like that and um Amber of course is not happy about that and um mm-hmm. and Jessica so this whole time Jessica is stringing poor Mark along um she really doesn't see a future she sticks with him and um he poor Mark he and I should have said spoilers right <laughs> but it's yeah it's now. too late now but um but she basically like is never really into Mark, but she keeps going back and forth. Like, I am into him. I'm not into him. I am into him. I'm not into him. So it's really interesting to see how that dynamic works because also she's older than Mark. And one of the biggest things she keeps saying is, there's a big big age difference. He's in his 20s. I'm in my 30s. And it's like, there is somebody that's less mature in this situation, but it isn't Mark. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I must say I'm glad I did not... <laughs> After hearing that, that that would make me intrigued. Uh, no, I can't. This this may be the few times that I almost lost my cool on in defense of humanity. I'm glad I I maintained. <laughs> why? Oh no, that, why? It sounded like a a real why? problem. That firstly, the smart character um, would accept her back after all right. of that, and that they're still letting cameras follow them after all well they have to because that's like part of the deal yeah contract do they get paid for this i don't know if they get paid for it but they got like a wedding so like basic so like Uh love is blind what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to get married Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, so like in order to see the other person they have to decide to propose so once they get engaged then they go to like um they get moved into these little apartments um, on this island, I think. Like, well, this resort or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're there for a little while. And then they realize the other people, they're there, just the two of them at first. Then they realize that everyone else is there. And they all kind of, like, start to hang out as a group. And then um, the next mm-hmm. stage is they go back, they go to their homes and they meet each other's families. And then they also, and they try to find, like, mm-hmm. a living situation through that. So like who's gonna move in who's gonna move okay. in with who and where are we gonna stay and why and what does the family have to say about the idea that you say you're gonna marry this person you met on a reality program? That yeah, so oh. it kind of gets like all into that. And so then in the end, they're supposed to decide, they have to decide if they're going to get married or not. And so of course it happens on the wedding day. They go up to the altar and then they're supposed to say, like, I do or I don't. 
And so they don't have to marry the person. They can do it, but it's humiliating because, of course, you're at the altar. You're just like, I don't want to marry you because of this. And everybody's family, and your family is there. Your family and friends are there. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. This um, this sounds like a... Yeah, I wouldn't watch this. <laughs> I would... I would not finish this show. This is to be fair, Love is Blind is probably one of the nicest out of all of these type of shows. Which is really interesting. Mm. Like, it doesn't get as, like, gritty and dirty as a lot of these other reality shows can get. Which is, um, despite, like, what's happening. Um, but a cu- some of the couples get married, some of them don't. I think the favorite couple that everybody has is Cameron and Lauren. Who's the interracial couple? Lauren's black and Cameron's white. Mm. And so a lot of people love them. Um, it seems like out of all the couples, like they probably have a relationship that could last because they were mm. having like real conversations and communicating things. And then also, um, Lauren had never dated outside of her race before, Cameron had. Yeah, and okay. so he had dated black women, and I, and actually, I think his long his longest relationship before Lauren was a black woman, so he was used to dating black women. But also, he wasn't like, um, one of those white men that like it's like I don't see color, I just see beauty. Like he wasn't like that. <laughs> he um he like understood like the issues, the racial issues that they'd have to like encounter, mm-hmm. and um. And he would kind of like stand up for Lauren in those situations, which was like, yeah, yes. which was like good. Okay. So it made me like him because it seemed like he actually understood, like, yeah, if we have children, they're going to be looked at as black, and this is what we need to do, and you know, like that kind of stuff. Like he understood. He seemed to like really have a handle on like the complexities of an interracial relationship and like the realities of how people look at race and who has privilege. So mm. I thought that was really good. And and then they also they seem to really compliment each other just on like personality wise and how they connected. And so mm-hmm. um yeah. So I mean so apparently like they have like a YouTube channel now and all kinds of stuff like for people to follow and like and watch them. Who is this? This is the this inter- is, the interracial um, couple, couple, Lauren and Cameron. Okay. I think you, I think you can guess about okay. what happened with Jessica and Mark. They're still together? <laughs> oh, I mean, oh no. I don't know. I would expect it that he would not oh, have accepted her back. her back. I told you you took her back. Remember? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this is why I'm I'm expecting oh, they're still well, together. Oh, well she, you know, he wanted to marry her, but I thought after she told him no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which is just like she completely yeah and I felt like she kind of really like humiliated him and it was terrible but I don't know what's wrong with Mark because they did a little reunion show and he seemed like still ready to forgive her but she was Mm -hmm. pretty like a lot of people like on social media hated her she also gave her dog wine oh yeah like she had her wine glass she was drinking and then she held her wine glass down for her dog to drink out of it and then she drank out of it so you know the dog's Mm -hmm. entire tongue was in that wine glass and then she drank it Mm. (laughs) 
<laughs> no. I mean, also wine is bad for dogs. And what's really interesting, she's like, I was going through so much emotionally during that time. And she said that her um her dog had to go, her dog got sick. And it was like, yeah, probably because you were giving it wine. <laughs> mm. But yeah, these these are um making me sad to to be a <laughs> part of humanity. So like the opposite of defense of humanity. Yeah, this is uh, (laughs) What about Too Hot to Handle? Because I didn't watch that one. Oh, that one's garbage as well. But, you know, it's slightly different. They have to be celibate or abstain from intercourse or any... They're like different levels of money loss. So they start off with a certain amount of money. I think Mm -hmm. it's 100000 or something. And then... They they know that they're not supposed to be intimate. However, if they are, they lose money, but they don't know how much money they're going to lose, and they don't know who did it. So, like, a morning, there's, like, a device there. I forget what it's called as well. It's, like, it's like an Alexa, but it's not. It's, it's, it's like, British or Australian. And then she's, like, oh, you have lost $3,000. And then they're, like, what? Who did mm-hmm. something? And, then, you know... And then so so then it turns out a lot of these people obviously want the money at the end, so they don't do anything. And then these two young women, whose names <laughs> I never cared to learn, um, decide to make out so that they could purposefully drop the money just what? to cause scandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one couple, they like do a weird bachelor thing where they get a suite, they like get vacations, and then they come back in the next morning. They lost seven thousand dollars, and then it was like, "Oh, well." Right. We so everybody, so so the money is for everybody. Like every, so everybody loses everybody. if anyone does something. How much money do they end up with at the end? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, oh, you didn't watch? You I didn't finish no it? Yeah. Um, no, I mm. I wasn't really there. It was sort of just playing in the background yeah. on the television. I just noticed that. I heard screaming and then I'd look up at the television and then they lost money. Yeah, I, I when I watched the previews for it, it just seemed like it was going to be like, like they wanted it to be like super scandalous. It's like, oh my God, I can't live my life without ever having sex for like this amount, for this two month mm-hmm. period. Like I'm going to die if I don't have sex. And it's like, really? I mean, it it just felt yeah, it just felt really kind of gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. of like not, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna do all these things to titillate them so that they'll want to, and then tell them they can't." And I guess mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. intentionally like picked like people like with hypersexual, um behavior issues or something you know what i'm saying like intentionally people that are going to be like susceptible because it's just like a lot of people can Mm -hmm. easily do that for two months a lot of people have to do that for two months (laughs) so like yeah so the premise itself sounds ridiculous but i guess if you get some people that like you know have a sex addiction then i guess two months is like you know dying or something yeah yeah because there was a um what was it one of the guys? Um, what was his name? I think it was maybe Harry. He had long hair, and people said he looked <laughs> like Jesus. 
and he wears a he wears a crucifix. <laughs> he he had no problem. He's like, yeah, it's fine. He was just sitting. There's nothing, no no problem for him. And he he would barely get he would barely show the emotion whenever they lost Buddy. And it's like ah, they picked <laughs> one because they want one of these uh, people to try to like um what is it what is it not coerce him but they they want one of these people to try to turn him oh uh into mm. a fiend like them but it, it, nobody nobody even tried it. he was just <laughs> chilling there they're like talking like the interviews about him but then he'd be there i mean i think he did something i wasn't really paying that close attention but i don't think he did anything to lose money yeah that's i don't know i mean so many i feel like a lot of these shows can start to go over the line and then, and that also, so it's just like sometimes I don't watch things because I feel like morally they're like too much. And, and I don't want to, um, and I want to be clear that I'm not like putting morality on like sexuality because I think people should like live their lives how they want to. It's more so about the morality I'm talking about, mm. like exploiting people, <laughs> so, the exploitation yeah. of the industry, not whether or not these people need to have sex every two months. That's their business. I don't care. Um, yeah, so Mm -hmm. it's when it becomes like too exploitive, it makes me uncomfortable. So there are a couple of things like I used to watch all the housewives and I also used to watch the love and hip hop and I like stopped. I haven't watched any of those in a while, but I stopped love and hip hop Atlanta first because it felt really gross. I would get really, um, I felt like emotionally, it was bad like it seemed like all these people were in really toxic relationships and it wasn't just for tv and so it was kind of like depressing to like see this and it's like the same story over and over again this this woman and man decide to go on the show um because one of them wants to revive their career meanwhile the man has a relationship with a whole nother woman who he also brings in the show that the woman doesn't find out about till mid-season and then she's humiliated and it's just like the mm. same cycle over and over of like just somebody cheating and humiliating their significant other on national television and it just mm-hmm. was, uh, it's gross and also like how many times do I need to see that <laughs> I mean I don't ever need That's to see true. it but I definitely don't need to see it more than once mm-hmm. yeah yeah um I, I have no dog in this fight. I I refuse to change the channel to BET. On well, I don't have cable anyways, but I refuse to watch anything with the label BET unless it's older than ten years old, except for Flavor Flav. To be to be fair, that. Love and um, Hip Hop is on VH1. <laughs> yeah, VH1 as well. I don't get me wrong. I was right about to go to VH1. I was going to say BET. VH1 or Fuse, unless it's Big Frida. I, I I refuse to watch any of these shows. And I know people will say, hey, you're a minority, support, support ethnic channels. No, I'll watch Galavision. I'll watch Univision. I will not watch Love and Hip Hop or any reality show on BET. And if they made decent um, other content, I would watch it as well. But until Tyler Perry brings a writer into his room, I can't help him. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I'm like over this whole, like you have to support. Um, I mean, I, I think in general, like, yeah, support black art in, um, minority, um, 
artists and entertainment and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't think that I have to support everyone when it's like, even when, and especially when it's things that I'm not interested in and I don't like. (laughs) So, I mean, I think we're past that point. I think there was a time when we absolutely need to do that. But I think in 2020, there's so much diversity in terms of programming that I can watch Mm -hmm. Insecure and not watch House of Pain. <laughs> I don't. I what? don't know what Insecure is. I unfortunately. <laughs> so know what House, House yeah, House of Pain is Tyler Perry. Insecure is by Issa Rae, who is um. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And that's a. I mean, so that's also a black show, but it's a black mm. drama that's on HBO, and I think it's good. Mm-hmm. A lot of people mm-hmm. think it's good, and um, it's definitely better writing than like House of Pain. And those things are not the same at all. They're both. It's like it's both. Yeah. By is both black artists like created these shows, but they're not the same in terms of like mm-hmm. the quality, the content, or even what they're about. Because Issa Rae is more, I mean, Issa Rae's show Insecure is really about um, women in their like late 20s, early 30s, kind of like their experience of like life and love and career, um, you know, while being black. That's kind of like what that's about. Um, as opposed to actually, mm-hmm. I don't know what House of Pain is about because I've never watched it. I've just seen I've just seen commercials, and it, and it made it clear that it was something I didn't want to see. Uh, it, <laughs> there there are characters in House of Pain since my sister refuses to mm-hmm. listen to me and watches these shows. Um, so the the character is I knew that I didn't Brown. know that. Yeah, and he's he's Medea's oh he's Medea's ex husband. He's he's Tyler Perry's character, the lawyer in Medea. He's his father, allegedly. Oh. But Medea said, "I tell you, you're his father, but you don't really know because we know I used to be a trick." She's like, "Cause you know Tyler Perry wrote Medea as well to be a former uh, stripper, oh. exotic dancer." My bad. Yeah. yeah. So you don't. Want to watch I that. do. One thing I do know is that Mr. Brown and then Cora. Yes, yes. Are married in real life. <laughs> really yeah, that's bizarre. bizarre. Yeah, I. Yeah. Oh wait, wait, wait! I'm wrong. Tyler Perry's character is oh, okay. Medea's nephew. Cora is right. Is Mr. Brown's daughter? Tyler Perry's character, whose name once again I don't care about, um, is Medea's brother, who is Medea with a mustache. It's his son. And then he is famous, his character, for Boo. So Tyler Perry established all these characters so he could earn millions of dollars from subsidiary movies of the Mad Yeah, Black I am um, already confused. I'm, I'm confused. Like, I didn't follow. But don't worry, you don't have to explain it again. <laughs> I, I won't. You got it. You got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You, I mean... You know, watch it. He's not really making any more money because if it's on Hulu and Netflix, they've already bid for it, so he's already got his money. So yeah. he can watch it. Oprah uh, and Tyler Perry are it, like it, really close, which is interesting. Oprah and Tyler they're, Perry, they're oh yeah. Like most of Tyler Perry's programming is on Oprah's network own. Ah, that's did did he make the one that has uh, the the old God, I'm not. I'm not helping myself. As an old guy, he's from. He's not old. He's like 
upper middle age who was on soap operas. He has blonde hair and he's the only um, Anglo-American character in Ooh, the whole show. I have no idea what you're talking about. The, the, oh, the, yeah, that the one. Yeah, that's on OWN. I have not watched it. I haven't watched that either, but yeah, that's on OWN. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really couldn't tell you who's on those shows, but I have seen previews because so mm. this is actually going to kind of connect back around to like the original topic of true crime. So like Oprah owned Oxygen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then she created OWN. And so now Oxygen ah, is a yes. true crime network, which is really interesting. And then but own is still like mm-hmm, a network mm-hmm. where it's like original programming. And so and most of the original programming on own is by Tyler Perry. Uh, so you gotta <laughs> you gotta have that bundle deal, right? Say you can put all these shows here. Um I could either buy a show for ten million dollars or I let you start twenty shows. And then I get them all for $6 million each. I'm sure that that's exactly what they did. I I know that she had to have done a bundle deal with him because the amount of shows, I don't really know how many, but it's more than two. (laughs) Okay, that's not good. No, no, because I I do feel they just sit around and they're like, ah, so what do you think? And he goes like, well, some of these actors are top tier, so we got to pay them like 500,000 at least an episode. And she's like, so will, um, will this season... How about I just give you like $10 million? I get the studio. Uh, we give you like $10 million per episode. Will that work? And he goes like, yeah, I think that'll do. I think I think we can use my studio as well. Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll meet you down in the boardroom. Okay, see you later, Oprah. <laughs> see you, Tyler. And then that's how it happens. And they leave their offices, which are on either end of, this, of the own studio. Neither one of them, that's neither one of their permanent offices. That's their meeting office. That's where they call each other before they have the meeting <laughs> at that office. They they both have their separate buildings. Tyler Perry Studios and and uh own the right. own, or the Harpo magazine. But they come to the own building to call each other so it looks like they're doing <laughs> studio exec things and they meet up in the in the room in the middle. So it looks like they work together at all times. I You're guarantee right. that's exactly I, what I will happening. say that the it is the Tyler Perry Studios in terms of like the studio in Atlanta is really an amazing thing. Like, that's really great. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I heard that he, like, bought groceries for a bunch of people during the pandemic. So it was like, yeah, apparently he bought, like, Ooh. I think, like, um, I don't know if it was, like, Kroger or Ingalls or, or Save Mart, one of those grocery stores. They were having... Wait, what was what that last one? That's... Uh, yeah. Is it save? Or save, save a lot? Is it save a lot? Is it save a lot? Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know. It, it might be. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I was like, oh, I haven't I haven't heard save of it. Save a lot? But, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Right. I don't shop there. But like one of those grocery stores, they were, they had like senior hours um because of you know what was going on with the pandemic. And so he like mm-hmm. covered the groceries for like all the people that were coming in during senior hours. And so, I mean, he does do, mm-hmm. I would say that mm-hmm. he does a lot of positive work in the community, but he doesn't do a lot of positive work mm-hmm. in the entertainment community. <laughs> so, in the, like, in the larger Black community, yes. it's like, he's, you know, giving money to different organizations and he's, like, helping people. But, like, when it comes to, like, the entertainment business, I hear that he is not great to work with. 
especially like in Atlanta, mm-hmm. everybody knows mm-hmm. somebody that either auditioned for Tyler Perry or worked with Tyler Perry or wrote with Tyler Perry. Saying, "Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, well. I know a few. And none of them have anything yeah. nice to say about him." <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah, I I've met a I I started um, like working on a script with this guy. He was at Decatur Eats. Um, he like works with a church there, and he's like an actor in like a bunch of Tyler Perry's film. He's like one of those funny guys mm-hmm. that are always there for for some reason. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, Mr. Perry's nice. I was like, of course, he's paying you. Wait, wait until you also, Mr. Perry. Come on, really? He can't. I mean, like, he can't say Tyler. <laughs> Do you have to call him Mr. Perry? Like, what is that? I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they do it there. I think people like walk up, Mr. Perry. Oh, just call me Tyler. And they say but it's Tyler. Like they walk up and, <laughs> and do it first. And he's right. like, oh, but still, no, he was talking about him, and he wasn't present, and he still said Mr. Perry. Yeah, maybe they're. Not <laughs> I, I feel like that's the clue that like he doesn't ever call that he doesn't call him by his first name because you just normally like you know refer yeah. to people by the well, names that you use them. It's hard for me to remember. Like sometimes when I'm talking about like mm-hmm. my colleagues to other students, I'm like, what is? I'm like trying to remember their last name. Because I never call them like by their last name. I call mm-hmm. them by their first name. I'm just like, wait, what is their last name? Oh, Doctor So and So, right? So the fact that he just mm-hmm. like went to mm-hmm. Mr. Perry means that I think he usually calls him Mr. Perry. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's a respect. I mean, it probably you know, is a respect a too. It's probably just... both of those things. But but you know, also I have in Black culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it is kind of, there is, like, more um, honorifics, like, in terms of, like, how we communicate with each other. Mm. Because I remember, like, when Mm. I, um, when I first went to, um, when I switched from, like, being in, like, South Decatur, working at a Y or whatever, and then going over into, like, um, the parks and the Gwinnett Parks and Recreation System, and how like everybody was first names, and I was just like, "Oh, I call my boss by mm-hmm. their first name," mm-hmm. and then every other thing that I did, like every other job where um, like white people were in power, always by their first names. But over at Atlanta Tech, a lot of people call each other Mister and Miss, or Doctor. Mm-hmm. And um and they're friends yeah and they're cool and but it's just kind of like a level of like respect to like your position and so I think mm-hmm. that's so mm-hmm. it also mm-hmm. could totally so I'm saying that but also I guess it could totally be like cultural yeah yeah for sure for sure um I do call most um it no I I definitely call all professionals by their title um however in my family since we're talking about honorifics i call everyone by their direct first name <laughs> whether they like it or not and i've been kicked out of numerous situations <laughs> That's, because of it. you know like in my in my family on my dad's side everybody calls everyone by their first name except for my grandma we call her um different people call her different things mm-hmm. i call her grandmommy but like i have another cousin who calls her like gammy whatever so people have different names for her but it's still like grand something grandmother grandma 
something like that. But um, my uncles and aunts, everybody calls them by their first names, except for like me and my sister and my brother, because my parents are like uncle, aunt. So like they ingrained in us. And so now like as an adult, I feel super weird saying like, Uncle Bruce. <laughs> because all of my cousins are all saying Bruce mm-hmm. and we're all mm-hmm. grown now. And they were saying Bruce when we were kids. And when we were kids, it was fine. But now that I'm yeah. an adult, I'm just like, I'm the only person saying uncle in front of this. <laughs> but on my mom's side of the family, yeah. they always did that. Like aunt and uncle. Um, so-and-so, which is why she like, made us do it and what's really funny is like my grandma on my mom's side she wanted us to call her grandmother <laughs> I refused I never called her oh, that. Okay. <laughs> I called her um yeah I called her grandmommy too I was like grandmommy Lillian grandmommy Florence to distinguish between the two of them those are their first names but I did not yeah I never called her grandmother but that's what she wanted mm. us to call her and I just completely disregarded that because I was like, grandmother, like, I know you. <laughs> super, doesn't that sound super formal? Oh, wow. <laughs> you don't think? I, yeah, I suppose. I, I, if I ever call my relatives by their title of relation to me, uh, they usually know I'm about to do something <laughs> that they don't want me to do. It sounds like you're a troublemaker in your family. <laughs> Not a troublemaker. I just, I'm never here. So whenever they see me, they go like, oh, oh, oh wow, what you doing? Texas. Uh, we thought you were in, in Texas. And it's like, and it's like I was, and now I'm back. And they're like, aha. When when you're you're that, that's the first again. question that they ask. That's not a good sign. Yeah. It's never <laughs> what are you up to here? It's like when you leave it again. Where you going next? That's uh, over. No, I do wonder, but I do wonder about like I think there's a lot of um I think there's a lot of black families that do that though. Like that where you just call them by their first name instead of aunt and uncle. But this is like my Georgia family. My mm. dad's side, where nobody says like aunt and uncle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But on my mom's side it is. Yeah, yeah. my my mother's family. um, Yeah, they live in California and Michigan. So I don't know if it's like has to Mm. do with like more like northern sentiments because New York, from New York to Michigan to Mm. LA, is like the where where they're it kind of like it came from. So I don't know if it, if it if it has anything to do with Mm. that, but definitely. But I do think definitely my mom. I always felt like. I always felt like my mom's side of the family was more formal than my dad's side of the family. Um, But now that I think about Mm. it, I think they're just bougie. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Like in retrospect, Mm -hmm. they're definitely not. I don't think they're actually more formal, but I think maybe just more bougie (laughs) is is what it is. And probably more so just because of like the history of like, you know, being really proud of like where they came from and what they did, and this is the bl- first black real estate company. You know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. So I think it. So I think it yeah. may just be like that kind of attitude more so than um, <laughs> more so than actually being formal. Maybe just being sedity. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Excellent. So where to now? We've covered true crime. We've covered reality television. Covered um, honorifics. <laughs> honorifics in, in the, the south. south. But but I, you know what though? Like but with uh, but with the south though, there is also like a level of politeness that isn't supposed to be like up north though. In term in terms of stuff, I mean, because I mm-hmm. do feel like mm-hmm. if there's an older woman or an older man. Well, now I don't because I'm like, I'm grown. <laughs> I'm like a real adult mm-hmm. now. But when I was like still in my 20s and younger than that, then if there was like an elderly person, I felt like even if they introduced me to themselves as their first name, I felt like I need to say like Miss in front of it or or Mr. in front of it. Like Miss mm-hmm. Don, Mr. Anthony, like that. Now I'm just like, yeah. if you introduce yeah. me as your first name, you know what? We're on the same level. <laughs> Yeah. See, see, I don't, I don't think I've ever, see, I've been, I've been to the North quite a lot and especially Northeast. I've noticed people Mm. are equally as nice as the South. I think it's like a calling card to the South. All we have Southern charm, but I think what it is is suppressing what you actually feel and putting a smile on, whereas people in the North might tell you the truth, but they're still going to be nice (laughs) even though they tell you they hate the way you smell. Right. It's like it's not done maliciously. It's done. Hey, this is the truth. I got it out. Now I can go on and be happy knowing I'm not lying. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right about that. I don't subscribe to the whole like smile and pretend that everything's okay thing. And and I also didn't grow up in a family like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so it's also hard for me to. So even though like yeah. my family is my dad's side is Southern or whatever. We didn't ever like smile and um, my grandma says whatever she wants. I mean, she's 88 now, but I always remember her saying whatever she wanted to say, Mm -hmm. whenever she wanted to say it. (laughs) And so did everyone else. Like it was Mm -hmm. always, for the most part, it was always clear how people felt about you. So I never, so it's like, I know this, like Mm -hmm. I, I always picture like, you know, white Southern bells where they're just like, bless, you know, bless your heart or whatever like that kind of thing but in my experience I've always were like around people that were just very much like and this is what's happening this is what we think when they the first thing they see when they see you I remember my grandma one time like hadn't seen my one of my cousins in years and she was just like you put on a lot of weight like that's the first thing she said to her yeah yeah like that kind of stuff just oh, like off oh, rip, wow. like <laughs> whatever. My grandma has never. I think the worst thing my grandma has ever said to me, because I think I like to think I'm one of her favorites. But I think one of the, the worst things she's ever said to me is mm-hmm. one time I had blonde braids, and she said, "I'm just glad you didn't get all those crazy colors like a lot of those other girls are doing." That is like the worst thing she said to me. Mm. Meanwhile, she's gone up to a cousin and told her she had no business wearing a bikini. I mean, one of her other grandkids said that. So she's in like, okay. I have, you know, okay. tattoos and things like that. She's never, she's seen my tattoos and my peers. She's never said a word to me about it. But I have another cousin who should be like, why do you have all that stuff on your body? So <laughs> it's probably also some favoritism there. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. How long does this usually well, go? Oh, this this usually lasts like an hour and a half. 
So we're getting close, but then if necessary, then there's another bonus episode that we call IDOT, which is in defense of time, which uh, removes the chance of the episodes mm. lasting. Over so what did you want to? So what did you want to talk about? Yeah. Okay. I think I think we've covered it. You know, as 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 everyone who comes into defense humanity quickly finds out. I actually supply very few ideas and I don't <laughs> add any original content usually. I just rephrase what they've already said and bring in something that I know they know about uh, in order to lackadaisically. Well, uh, you said something the, interesting about Confucius the, uh, earlier. The podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was just, uh, <laughs> I was just, you know, dropping some legalism. <laughs> and the people are like, oh, that's interesting. I'll have to look that up later. It just, it just keeps them like, oh, oh, is it, is it, is it talking about the switch? I did like, think no, about like talking, Dang. like talking a little bit about Confucius and how like problematic some of the stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Because yeah. people, people love to mention it, right? People love to mention different things. They're like, oh yeah. Like, um, Schwanze said this <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. Also, if the way if, right you the right. Wu way right if we're going with Wu way and the Tao, in my mind you know i i i dream of slaughtering people <laughs> who am i to resist my nature yeah so these these are problems right now other people are protectorates are protectors so their Tao, right their their way is to is to protect others so they will uh, correct it, but from what I'm hearing is, you but see, I would think that you know um, to stop. I would think that some people would argue that, like, because there are certain like things like morality, like in terms of like what's acceptable and what isn't, that everyone is mm-hmm, supposed mm-hmm. to still be like susceptible to that. And so, even though you may feel the desire to do certain things, you're still supposed to be governed by a certain set of rules. Like, I feel like that's what because. I guess mm-hmm, it's one mm-hmm, of the things mm-hmm, when we talk mm-hmm. about Confucius, like Confucianism, my um, more religions course, we talk about how, um, yeah, he's giving these people mm-hmm. in control, like all these, all this power because of filial um, piety, right? He's giving them all this power and control, but he's also yeah, expecting yeah, yeah. them to honor a certain like code of ethics as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've also noticed as well um, with a lot of Westerners who who take like bits mm-hmm. and pieces, you know, I'm spiritual, not religious, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, let's take these parts. And then whenever I drop on them, OK, here, since you're taking these parts, we got to accept the relativism. Um, these people right here, they're going to kill their cousins and they're going to eat their flesh. Mm-hmm. That's not OK. You just establish your relativist and. You take pieces from other cultures. So how dare you say this is inherently wrong? Because you said everyone's entitled to their own belief. And their belief is that they're, they're about to, <laughs> to wreck this man and eat him without cooking him. And you got to accept it. Otherwise, right. you're establishing a universal maxim. And that doesn't really fly with what you told me five minutes ago. And then, well, well, and I'm like, no, I'm kidding. Obviously, that's not what you meant. But through a pragmatic approach i can make you know anyone this is how jordan peterson uh ben shapiro quote unquote 
destroy other people in debates because they uh, the the other good um, rhetoricians establish um, like systems, but they don't establish them fully, and it allows these other two to and multiple others to worm mm. their way between the, the set rules in order to say, "Oh, you're wrong, yeah. and this is why." Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, that really annoys me, it, but it makes me think. Of, I mean, well, because it's just because it's kind of like <laughs> if you're gonna if you're willfully misunderstanding me I, and then you're making mm-hmm. me responsible for that misunderstanding yeah, yeah. that you're intentionally doing it's like you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying and you know what I mean and you're inten- yeah. and you're really like twisting my words mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely that's what God and mm-hmm. Adorno would say of course that we have to be generous with our understanding of others that we know what they're saying so uh, basically, don't be a dick and right. And I mean, yeah. Use their I words think against them. But what you're saying about like moral relativism. So in my humanities class, we talk about that, um, like universal mm-hmm. morality versus um, moral relativism. Okay, okay. And and that's always kind of a discussion mm-hmm. that we have, where it's kind of like, so is this if this, since this is acceptable in some cultures, like. Can we really say that it's wrong? Like, what kind of things can we decide is universally immoral versus um, mm-hmm. relatively mm-hmm. immoral? And um, what kind of cultural boundaries do we set? And the biggest one is always the one I'm always, the one I always ask them about is child marriage. Because that's absolutely going to be moral relativism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? If you're getting, if you're, if married, it, getting married is like yeah. just a financial transaction. It doesn't have anything to do with love, right? And um, you marry off a female that has reproductive capabilities, right? Like for that reason, as opposed to like here where there's like mm-hmm. where we try to like where we we act like there's love and marriage and I mean love and stuff involved. We're complicating that, but still, right? Um, but on the other hand, we do know, like scientifically, that a person's brain is not fully formed until they're 26 years of age. So it's like, so I feel like you can argue mm-hmm. that child marriage is wrong because they cannot consent and they cannot be adults, not because of our culture, but because we know how brains actually work and that they're incapable of making those decisions. But of course, mm-hmm, that requires mm-hmm. all parties to believe in the same level of science, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But that's always, I always have some students that are just mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I think it's wrong. We shouldn't do it. But I don't know if we should tell what if we should tell other cultures what to do. And it's like, I feel you because imperialism, colonialism, right? Those are really things that are terrible. But at the same time, I think things like female circumcision, that's probably good that like the West was involved in that. You know what I'm saying? But it's just like the negative things mm-hmm, that the West mm-hmm, has been involved mm-hmm. in has been so much more. And a lot of it is about like power and supremacy as opposed to like the actual well-being of another community that sometimes those things kind of get like twisted and mixed up and it's hard to tell like what's the true intention of this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've noticed this as well. When people talk to me, you know, 
Uh, mm-hmm. You may have a problem with this as well. Mission trips. People tell me, yeah, we're going here. We're helping establish buildings. I explained to them most of the buildings are reconstructed after because uh, they do their projects to mainly get the money for the community so they can rebuild the buildings. And they allow the kids or the young people to build the building so they feel like they've accomplished something. They leave and they build it to the standards of their country because they the kids mm-hmm. n- have seen Western style buildings and they build them that way. And then the people come and take the raw materials right. and build it according to their own codes that work for their nation. And they'll talk about female circumcision. I'll mention male circumcision. They'll explain how it's different and whatnot. Um, they'll talk mm-hmm. about human sacrifice. I'll talk about the death penalty. They'll obviously explain why it's different. I tell mm-hmm. them that you are choosing to look at these things differently if they're inherently wrong. In yeah, no, I agree. I'm, yeah, I'm with you on the male circumcision. I regularly, whenever I talk about female circumcision, I regularly bring up the discussion of male circumcision and how, like, is an unnecessary thing as well. And that mm-hmm. a lot of it came from, like, religious, cultural thing. And really, the only reason we have it in this country is because the Kellogg guy was obsessed with... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was obsessed with like yes, sexuality yeah, and yeah, masturbation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not any. It has nothing to do with like um, cleanliness. It's like the rest of the world doesn't observe this. It's just us in the U.S. So yeah, I always bring that up. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I think the de- and I also of course uh, I think the death penalty is terrible. So um, yeah, I don't think human beings should put other human beings to get to death. So yeah, I mean. I find a lot of those like really easy for me to be like, well, yeah, universally, I do think this, but you're right. Like a lot of people don't, they um, excuse the things they do in their own culture and community and others. And yeah, with the mission trips, one of the things I think mm-hmm. about, and I just realized I lost the name of this Island, but I remember like, so a lot of, so Mormons are really big on mission trips um, because that's what they have to do. Um, mm. And so they at least yeah, at least yeah. one of the things they do is as opposed to like a lot of the Protestant and Catholic mission trips, at least in Mormonism they learn the language. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mormons I, I met a few Mormons who can speak French like, like Yeah, they, they, they learn the language, like they King learn about Louis. the community, they, they learn about good. the culture. But they still cause cultural shifts. And that's why I like I lost the name of this island, but there's this mm-hmm, island mm-hmm. where um because of the impact of Mormonism, like it completely changed. And so because of the the rules of modesty in Mormonism. Mm-hmm. So of course, like the women dress in a really different way because it was a hot island. And so now like people wear like full clothing and stuff like that, where, yeah. you know, even when they're on the beach, which like completely changed the, the cultural dress. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. 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 That's gotta be in the Pacific. Um yeah, because I, I know whenever I was living in in the South Pacific, there were a lot of Mormons, um, like, going yeah, on mission, like, Tuvalu yeah. and Guam. I did, a, I did a mission trip um, when I was... Yeah, for sure. In my early 20s. In tw- I want to say it was in... Oh, it was in 2010. I did a mission trip. But our mission trip was different. <laughs> because oh. it was... Um, so it was AME, mm. which is... Um, if you're not familiar, it's African Methodist Episcopal Church. And so the Amy Church is worldwide. And so whenever the Amy Church does like quote unquote mission trips, um, they do so like in um 
they do so in communication with like the district they're going to because we have like churches all over the world. So for instance, we went to the 16th district, which is in which includes Trinidad and Tobago as well as um, Jamaica and um, some. I don't think it's it might be Guam, but it includes all of those. No, Guyana, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think it's Guyana. Yeah, so it includes all those. And mm, so okay. when yeah. we organized our trip, like we organized it with like people that were in a Trinidad, right? That like lived there. And so the stuff that we did, we're not like, mm-hmm. we didn't do mm-hmm. any like big structural projects or anything. We like helped repaint a church that was already in existence. Like the paint, the paint was like old and stuff. So we like repainted it. Um, and then we did like some, and we worked with like some of the kids at a like, at a Catholic school. We just like did some like activities with them. So I didn't feel like there was much of a cultural impact. I also felt like, is this mission work? Because I don't feel like I did anything. <laughs> but, um, and I know that we brought money. And so I think the yeah. biggest thing is that we brought money. <laughs> and then we engaged in a couple of quote unquote service projects. Yeah. But it wasn't anything that was going to be like, that was going to be like mm-hmm. permanently impacting on the culture. You know, because like repainting a church isn't building a church. You know, mm. it was a church that was already there that needs to be painted. And so instead of somebody in the community doing it, we painted it for them. You know what I'm saying? It was like that kind of thing. And then also, but I think it also mm. has to do with like, you know, I think a lot of these groups also look at the people that they're um, quote unquote ministers. Oh, and oh, that's I guess that's another thing. We also weren't there to like quote unquote minister to people because like, the people that we worked with were already in the Amy church. So they were already Christian. <laughs> so there was like no conversion intentions. It was just like, let's do some service. So it was really like, let's do service mm-hmm. while we're yeah, here. Yeah. And that's how all of the like trips are. That's how all the mission trips are like structured where people do service projects. There's no like conversion intentions because you're working with other Christians. And also we have like relationships with these people and know them. So we're also, so I guess, it's a, I guess a positive and I don't know I don't know if I'm just like because I participated I'm like trying to excuse it but it did feel like um but it did feel different because it didn't I didn't feel like I was like with the other like I was like with friends you know like people that I knew and so it was kind of like on a human level as opposed to like yes. this level where like you need us to do this special thing a lot of like my experience from that trip was like learning about like Trini culture and food and stuff like that. Like that's what I got from it. Um, learning a mm-hmm. lot of things I did not know before and thinking, Oh my God, I want to come back here again and having, cause, cause I did have friends there and I guess I still kind of, I haven't, I'm not keep, great at keeping contact with them, but I do kind of still have friends there. And so they like showed us around and took us out and let us like experience it, you know, on a level that wasn't touristy. And so that's like a different mm-hmm. experience than when you're going and you're yes. separating yourself from someone and you're just like, you don't like, like I had a friend that um told me they went to, um they went to Ghana um, and that, and how people were like so open to hearing about Jesus. And I was like, Christianity's already in Ghana. And she was like, well, a lot of them are Catholic. I was like, Catholicism is Christianity. <laughs> She's like, no, because they worship Mary. And I was like, that's not mm-hmm. how it works. And then we just had to end the conversation because we were never going to agree. <laughs> but 
but it was that but it's definitely like that kind of mindset like oh they were so hungry to hear about jesus christ and it's like um they already know like what are you talking about you think you think africa (laughs) how how do you think that there are countries Mm -hmm. in africa that have never heard of christianity (laughs) you know what i'm saying like no there may be like some Mm -hmm. like you know there are some communities and cultures that you need to like leave alone (laughs) right that don't need to be messed with but in terms of like the country of ghana i'm pretty sure christianity is the majority religion there so like what a weird i guess out of all the countries to go to like you know minister in quote-unquote like, why go to one that has Christian? Oh, I know, because you're Protestant and you think Catholicism isn't real Christianity. Got it. <laughs> so let's, yeah, let's go to this Catholic country and convince them that mm-hmm. Protestantism yeah, is yeah. the right Christianity. And, pret- and pretend that they've never heard of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely see how that's very problematic. But yeah, I never did the whole like let's go and yes, like tell sure. new people let's go to this let's travel to this place and try to convert these people to our religion. And I remember when uh, so my roommate mm-hmm. was um, in mm-hmm. the Dominican Republic for two years with the Peace Corps, and um, I know a lot of people have like some issues with the things that the Peace Corps does too. But one of the most, one of the interesting things that um, I saw while I was actually there, because I went out there and visited her. So she was living in this rural community and the stuff that she, so what she was doing with that community is she was, um, they had like this, um, they produced like peanut butter. They had this factory where they produced peanut butter um, from peanuts that they grew and, and honey that they had like hives mm-hmm. or whatever. And so what she did was she like helped them like organize it like in a more efficient way. And then she also helped get their peanut butter into local stores. Right. So that's like a more sustainable thing. Right. And so um, anyway, so that's, that was like a lot of the work she did. So I, when I was there, I went and visited the, the um, peanut factory. And when we went there, there were some white people there and it was funny because she told me before we went there because my span, I can understand it better than I can speak it. But they had said like, there's some gringos, just so you know, there's some gringos because my, my roommate is black, just like I'm black. And um, they had said, to her, and most of the Peace Corps volunteers are mm-hmm. often white. So it was also different that she was black. And so, um, so of course, her connection to the community was really different than a lot of the white people because they saw her as, as the same as them, you know? just American. And so um, they told her like there were gringos at the um, Mm -hmm. peanut butter factory. And so we went and so they were like helping them um, look at the peanuts and there is, they have to like, they do this kind of some kind of like process where they sift through the peanuts to see like which ones are good and which ones aren't or whatever. And so that's what they had them like in this, um, had them sitting around these white girls that were there on a mission trip, like sitting around in a circle doing that or whatever and they didn't know spanish and so they were happy to see us because we knew english so they could talk to us <laughs> and i mean they had somebody in their group that spoke spanish but most of the girls didn't speak spanish and so they were just like oh we can talk to some people now whatever and um I, my friend told me like after we left she was like yeah mm-hmm. they're gonna have to redo all that stuff they just did 
it's just, yeah it's just like we're they're just letting them feel good but like oh, they're no. not sifting any of that stuff correctly so it's gonna have to be done again and so she's like and like when they told her that the gringos were there they were saying it like oh the gringos are there because they're just like and I was just like oh so they don't like when they come and she was like no because they have to give them an activity to make them feel good but they don't really have the time to really learn how to do it well and so they don't do it well and so then they just have to redo it themselves so it creates more work for them mm-hmm. yeah and so and it just seemed like a simple task like just sorting okay. peanuts and even something like that it was just like now all these little piles that they made we got to go through them and redo it because we had to make them feel like they were doing something to help us. <laughs> so it was interesting to see like how the people in the community and the culture like play along mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Where okay, we'll like put on this little app. Thank you so much. You are so helpful. Okay, just throw it. Just throw it in the regular pal again. And gotta do it again. You know. It was that was really interesting because and. Also, yes. I guess another thing that's interesting is we went after, so after my friend's mm-hmm. assignment was over, we went back for a wedding and um, there was a new person that was assigned to her camp and he was white. And it was very interesting to like see like how much more connected she was to the people there than he was. And granted, he was new, but there was still, like, this big divide. And, like, a lot of the things that they did for her, like, they didn't do for him. (laughs) Which is pretty, which is kind of, like, an interesting thing where they're just like, oh, you're you're Dominican. You're, you're, and also telling me, like, oh, yeah, you're you're Dominican now, too. Um, He's just a gringo. (laughs) Because a lot of people don't realize Mm. Dominicans Mm -hmm. are Black people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't Mm, think so? That sounds like sacrilege to me. Uh, No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Of African descent. Yes, right. uh, Yeah, that's that's undebatable, right? Saying 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 black is is a great way to have a yes yes I know I know that they say that but they're yeah they're definitely it's but when I went Uh, there so I I I, it's kind of like a lot of times here like in our country a lot of times when you mm -hmm. see Dominicans they're light skinned with like the curly hair or whatever and so sometimes they can be racially ambiguous like that's not the majority Mm -hmm. of Dominicans right so when Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like when I went to Dominican Republic. Oh, of course. Like not. you couldn't yeah, tell yeah. the difference between "quote unquote" Dominicans and like American Black people. You know what I'm saying? In terms of like race wise, in terms of like dress and attitude, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. some di- definitely some. There were a lot of cultural differences. Um, but mm-hmm. in terms of like, so like when I went there, of course, people of course. thought that I was Dominican. Like they would assume I could speak Spanish, and when I couldn't, they thought I was an idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I think it might also have to do with the um the river massacres um perpetrated by Trujillo, where anyone who mm-hmm. was dark or had a, a, a Haitian sounding accent was slaughtered along the border. So so now Dominicans um who are darker don't necessarily like to be called uh dark because it's it's intergenerational trauma of seeing dark as bad 
or risking your life, but they don't know why anymore. They just yeah. know that they've always yeah. been told you're a lot not of black. yeah, and then also a lot um, of Dominicans. Uh, um, I mean, yeah. a lot of times if you see a darker skin Dominican, they're just like, oh, they're Haitian. Because my um, because I'm I'm light skin, mm-hmm. um, and my roommate is I would say brown. She would say that she's dark skin, but whatever. But either way, like when she was there. Like sometimes they would think that she was Haitian instead of knowing that she she'd have to like show her thing to show she was American, and which of course led to mm-hmm. and so like that would be like they treat Haitians terribly in the Dominican Republic. So um, that would be a bad thing. But a lot of mm-hmm. the but most of the people still look like um, the same variety of tones that you see in Black Americans, and then also. There are like some cultural differences, but I felt like so like at home, I felt, I feel like there's like this, um, and I guess you travel a lot too. So maybe you know what I mean, but I feel something about like people of African descent. There's something that we share that even in different parts of the world, you feel like you can feel like you belong. And that's how I felt. I was just like, oh, like all the stuff that was happening, Mm. there are like some cultural differences, but a lot of this was like, this is familiar to me. Like I see these same kind of people wandering around Atlanta, like (laughs) engaging in the same kind of behavior. Like it's, I don't know how to like really explain it, but I didn't, it was definitely times where I was just like, I'm in a foreign country, but there was just a lot of things that I just understood. And I was just like, oh, this like, trans i guess this is a part of like all african like descendant people's culture it's just like there is inherent it's like a part of it it's the same Mm -hmm. um the the feeling of like going out to like a bar was like the same and when like i can go into white bars in atlanta and not feel the same as i do at like the black ones right but going, but I could go into a Dominican one and feel like, oh, I feel comfortable here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's interesting. It was an interesting thing to notice. I saw where I was just like, oh, these all feel like people that I know. I feel connected to these people. Yeah. And to, when I really didn't expect that. I mean, do you do you feel like that? Because you travel. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You're not even sure. originally from here, right? I, oh, really? I, no, no, no. I am. I, I was born in the United uh, States, you know. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. For for homeland security <laughs> reasons, I am 100% United States citizen through and through. Patriot to this nation um, for certain. Uh, I do travel to other places, and I have been in other places for extended amounts of time. Some might even say I've lived there, but I will say I, I took mm. long visits, um, like year-long visits. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, yeah, I've been to a few places. I don't know. For me personally, even though I've noticed places for certain where mm-hmm. where black people, African descendants, um, Melanesians, even are treated badly because right. like in Australia, right. you know, it's same right. racism towards black people, but Aboriginals, mm-hmm. Melanesians okay. instead of Africans, um, nonetheless black. Um, and I guess there mm-hmm. is sort of a camaraderie, but then it's, it's because of the oppression. It's, it's not necessarily because we're all black. Cause like in, in New Zealand, hanging out with Pacific Islanders and Africans as well, we all pretty much got along. Not that much with Pacific Islanders because 
luckily, um, even though colonized, mm-hmm. mostly converted to um, Christian faith communities, they 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 maintain their language and their most of them their mm-hmm. um, dislike of colonizing communities. Um, though it's a bit dissonant to me because I see that they're Christian and they go to church, but they wear traditional clothing at church. So I, I try not to get too heavily mm-hmm. involved, but I'm all good with them. Like I hang out with them since that, that was the original question. But I do feel a little bit un, unable to get into the depths of the communities because uh, mm. I, I don't share their yeah um, their collective experience. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I didn't so feel like. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt connected, but I definitely it was definitely some different stuff. Like, of course, especially like the racial stuff and the colorism. Like, I'm not okay with that, and so that so that kind of stuff. Like when mm-hmm. people made like kind of those kind of comments, that was disjointing, and then also like they have a different kind of like racial categorization in Dominican. And so like being light skin and with freckles, like I'm on that quote unquote higher end. And so that was also kind of weird because I could tell that there is like some kind of treatment, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're American, there's some kind of treatment, but also like it felt weird to be called like Rubia. You know, because I had I had blonde braids, but also like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've never been called a blonde. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and so it just kind of I could feel like I could feel little things yes. like that sometimes, or it was just kind of like weird. Or I was just like, okay, because there is colorism here, but it's not um, as blatant in everyday interactions as it felt there. yeah i mean so yeah there are definitely things i couldn't um connect to and also it was like a rural community so like we're using the bathroom outside we're taking showers outside um that was very hard (laughs) but um we also spent some time like at the resort which was not rural so had a taste of both worlds but it was just really but it was really interesting to see like how Mm -hmm. like yeah, 2020, people are still, like, having to, like, go outside and pump water. Like, people don't have, um, they don't have the same level of, like, electricity and running. Or they they have houses without running water in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, it's not good. I, I'm not even gonna say it's not ideal. It's it's completely unnecessary. Right. And I do feel that there are systems that could repair it. But we we how do I say this? We honor different things, like celebrities spending our money on on commodities here instead of supporting others. We think very nationally, even individ, individualistically right. and yeah. not as an entire yeah it was it really was kind of like world. one of those things where and then i guess like another cultural thing that really bothered me was like um i felt like there was a lot of sexualization mm-hmm. of women and so i mean like women were like really so- sexualized mm-hmm. even to like even children so like you know young girls that have developed early and that happens here too except um 
you know, if somebody, if an older guy is talking to a younger girl, like most people are just like, that's not cool, dude. What are you doing? You know, kind of thing. And then this, but it's culturally acceptable there. Yeah, like this 20-year-old man mm-hmm. talking to this 14-year-old girl, that's normal. You know, yeah. and that's not normal here. That can be a jail sentence, even though it still happens. So that kind of stuff was also like really mm-hmm. strange. And but then also like there's different ideas about like sexuality, which is also different. So like, um, I mean, because like I guess the thing was like we there was like a party and there was a lot of twerking, right? That happens here. Um, but there were like small children doing it. Mm-hmm. Also happens here. The thing that was creepy is that. I felt like some of the males were like watching a little bit too intently, you know, when it was happening, you know what I'm saying? When like dance doesn't have to be sexual, even twerking, you know, like, so it was just kind of, so it was that kind of stuff was mm-hmm. like weird. and like, uh. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think we have, covered um a wide span of topics which is good okay and as such we're coming up on the okay. time limitation for most okay. in defense of humanity episodes do you have any final remarks anything you'd like to promote mm. anything that you like that you want to share with everyone else i don't really have anything to promote i don't have a soundcloud um yeah, okay, I would just okay. tell people to um, wear a mask when they go out in public, continue to social distance, no matter what your governor says, mm, mm-hmm. especially if your governor is um, Brian Kemp. <laughs> mm-hmm. The pandemic is not over and we're probably going to see some spikes mm-hmm. too. So don't think that you can just disregard just because there's not a stay home order. Don't think that you can just disregard all the rules. Like you should still be engaging in all of the, um, all of those things that we kind of like put in place in order to prevent the spread, like still do it. Remember asymptomatic people, even so, even if you don't, you could be spreading the disease, even though you have no symptoms. So think about that. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. So now we have things to think You're about. Welcome. Once again, thanks for having uh, me. Professor this is a really Spence, interesting thank you for discussion. Joining us. Excellent. Of course.